Welcome to season two of Make Smart Sexy Show. This is your host, Karen Lee. I'm a health and wellness coach. Today is a very special episode. I have a very important guest from Well Coaches School of Coaching, and together we are diving into what health and wellness coaching is all about. In particularly, coaching in lifestyle medicine, which is somewhat very new to Asia Pacific. So. Please stay tuned to the very end of this show. Now, a very brief introduction on Well Coaches. Well Coaches has defined the cutting edge and the gold standard for high-impact, evidence-based, and innovative education, training, and certification. They provide the tools and skills to become game-changing professionals in corporate healthcare and consumer well-being. Well Coaches is the premier school of evidence-based health coaching education and training in North America, Australia, and Asia Pacific. And with that, I'm honored to have Simon Matthews to be on my show. I reached out to Simon via LinkedIn on August 14 of 2019 after I heard so much about him from Margaret Mall of Well Coaches USA where I had received my health and wellness coaching education remotely. And afterwards, I heard more about him from Mark of IOM. And I thought, he is someone I need to connect with. And here we are. How are you feeling, Simon, in this moment? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being you could climb a mountain, and 1 being you could just like to climb under the covers. Where are you today, Simon? <laughs> Hello, Karen. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that lovely introduction, and uh, thank you also for asking that very coach-like question. Uh, how am I in the moment? So, on your scale, uh, one to ten, I would say today, uh, right now, I am a good solid nine. Ah. Wow, that's a very high number. And that actually, you know, sounds very enthusiasm. You're very enthusiastic about today's show. And I'm so glad to have you on the show. So Simon, please tell the audience, um, who are you? And where do you come from? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, uh, so I, I live in Australia. And uh, for anybody in your audience who may be familiar with Australia, I live about one hour north of Sydney which is the, uh, the capital of uh, New South Wales, and, and it's probably one of, the, one of the places people are more familiar with if they live outside of Australia. Um, and uh, I've lived here for a number of years, uh, and my professional work was principally as a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for uh, well over 20 years, and then more recently a fitness trainer and, and personal trainer uh, as well. And, uh, and I, brought, I brought those two things together in under the umbrella of lifestyle medicine, which uh, you and I will be speaking about uh, a bit later. Uh, so, um, a, a while ago, last year, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, to uh, begin developing uh, the business of well coaches over here in Australia. So, well coaches uh, began in North America uh, twenty years ago. In fact, twenty years ago, this past January. And uh, it was the vision of uh, the person who remains the CEO of Well Coaches, and that's Margaret Moore. Uh, Margaret had a vision for, for how we could transform what has increasingly become 
what we refer to as sick care, uh, back to healthcare, uh, and to think creatively about uh, about what we can do to support people, not not only to restore good health, but but to prevent uh, declining health and to to maintain good health uh, across a lifetime. So she envisioned uh, uh, building a school to to train a workforce of people to become health and wellness coaches. And that vision came to fruition uh, and uh, continues to, uh, to really thrive uh, uh, to this day. So, so Margaret continues at the helm of, of Well Coaches in the US and, uh, and Well Coaches continues to, uh, to uh, strive to train all its candidates to a very, very high level of uh, skill and proficiency and knowledge in, in health and wellness coaching. Uh, and... More recently, uh, we have begun to do that same thing over here in Australia and New Zealand. So I'm the CEO of Well Coaches Australia, um, and we're, we're, like a, we're like a young sibling uh, to Well Coaches in the US. So we, uh, we use the same uh, science-backed, evidence-based curriculum. Uh, we work to the same high standards. We, uh, we ensure that people are... Uh, prepared adequately for external certification as health and wellness coaches, uh, and we're aiming to bring that uh, bring that same vision uh, to this part of the world. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Simon. And um, and coaching is is basically you know like a very new term, um, um, especially in terms of the health and wellness domain, um, because we've heard a lot of different kinds of coaching. Or rather different types of coaching like life coaching, executive coaching, and even career coaching. Could you just tell us, you know, mm. like what is exactly health and wellness coaching and what isn't coaching? Yeah, great question. Great question. So, uh, so you, you're absolutely right that there, uh, there are a range of different types of coaching, including those that you mentioned, executive coaching, life coaching, um, business coaching, and, and more, and of course, sports coaching. Um, uh, but health and wellness coaching is a, uh, um, um, well, certainly in this part of the world, a more recent addition. As I said, it, it's been part of, the, part of the landscape of healthcare for the last uh, 20 or so years in the United States. And health and wellness coaching is the, uh, the evidence-based application of the principles of health behaviour change to support people to make meaningful and sustainable changes to their health behaviour. And it really grows from a perspective that the models that we have previously had for how we might, uh, how we might support someone to do something different really don't, <laughs> don't do the job that we think they, they might. So even when I went through university, back in the 1990s uh, to train as a psychologist, there was a prevailing view that, uh, that if I learnt about brain biochemistry and if I, if I learnt about abnormal psychology and if I learnt about, uh, about mental health disorders and, and I learnt about cognitive behavioural therapy, uh, then I could use that knowledge to, uh, to help people to change. And, and that, that particular model is a, is, is a model that's focused very much on uh, the idea that the expert shares his or her knowledge with the client 
and somehow the client has an aha moment, uh, realises the significance of that knowledge and then applies it in their own life. But of course, we know that's, that's not the way that people actually make behavioural changes. People make behavioural changes when they connect it up to something that is really valuable to them, something that sits, sits deep uh, at their core, something that they recognise has meaning and value and purpose for them. So, for example, uh, Karen, if, if I said to you, um, uh, you know, do, do you know uh, doing, doing 150 minutes of, uh, of moderate intensity physical activity every week is a really good idea and that will stop you getting chronic disease and help you stay really healthy right across your life, um, you, you, were, you would be not very likely to walk out of my office and go away and start doing that. <laughs> if, however, we had a conversation uh, where I inquired of you, what what are the things that uh, what are the things that matter to you in your life, and mm. and why do they matter, and how do you already experience the significance of those, and if we had a conversation where I focused on exploring with you um, other ways that you could bring that um, bring that into your life, or other ways in which you could live out that value or that meaning in your life. And if you were to identify in the course of that, that increasing your level of physical activity is something that would help you get to where you want to go, then you would be much more likely to do that. And this is, this is not really that surprising because when you think about it, uh, most of us make most of our decisions based on that. So, for example, if you decide that... Um, if you decide that you want to uh, study at university or college, um, then you will most likely begin saving the money to do that and you will most likely begin organising your daily and weekly schedule to make sure that you can go to classes. If I just tell you, Karen, you're really smart, you should go to college, you should go to university, you should save up and do that, you would probably not do it. Um, so you need to connect with something that, that really matters to you. The analogy I often use, Karen, is the idea of, of uh, driving, say, in a car or, or going, going somewhere, you know, in, in a train um, or, a, or a metro or, or something like that. If, if I said to you, get, get, um, you know, why don't, why don't you get in your car and drive? Um, driving's a whole lot of fun. Driving's really good. You should just drive. Then, you know, maybe you'll get in your car and maybe you'll drive for a little bit. Bit, but after a while, you're going to turn to me and say, Simon, why are we doing this? Why, why are we driving? Well, I'm just going round and round. If, on the other hand, we spoke about your desire to drive to a particular location, if you wanted to, to drive from your home, for example, to, uh, to the Botanical Gardens or to Jurong Bird Park or, or something like that, and if you had that destination in mind that you wanted to reach and you had a reason for going there, then you would be much more likely to get in your car and keep driving until you got where you wanted to get. And that's the secret to behaviour change, to, to recognise that people's capacity to change is primarily governed by the values, the visions, the dreams, the sense of purpose and the meaning that that activity might have for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. And you talked about the aha moment. And that's the aha moment, right, that I like, when, especially when when you see like the, um, 
the eyes, the glimmering in, in the person's eyes and, and the shift, right, um, that actually caused a change or some reaction. And, and coaching can really bring about a profound transformation, right? Um, you know, initially when, when I was doing my, when I was coaching, um, well, I mean, I'm still learning to be a, a good coach, but it's definitely not as easy as I thought to be. Um, even though I had gone through like nine months of education, but like you said it really well, you know, it's like basically asking open-ended questions, right? And not telling the person what to do because nobody likes to be told what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's really about tapping into the why, right? And, and most of the time, it's really the angle, the coaching language, the attitude. So there are a lot of elements um, and even techniques uh, they are they are actually implied when it comes to coaching. Like earlier when we talked about the different types of coaching, um, and you really explained it really well. Um, but I like to know, right? Um, are the principles and framework for such coaching do they differ from one another, or is there a universal framework or principles that applies to every single coaching? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Karen. And one, one of the things that, um, in fact, I, I think it's, it's probably one of the most valuable things about, about the, well coaches, um, the well coaches model and the way that well coaches teaches coach training is that it's uh, solidly grounded in the science of human behaviour change. Uh, and it involves the integration of a number of different theories and ways of thinking about uh, why people behave the way they do and, and, and what we can do to encourage um, the activation of different ways of thinking and different ways of being in people. So, for example, uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with motivational interviewing, which is a particular technique uh, 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 designed to support people to identify um, what matters to them, doesn't matter to them so much, where they might be feeling stuck, and and so on. But but coaching is much more than motivational interviewing. Uh, health coaching is also based on self determination theory, which tells us how important it is to ensure that someone experiences autonomy. Uh, in other words, that sense of I'm choosing to do this. I'm not, I'm not being told or directed to do this. I'm choosing to do this. Uh, but coaching is much more than self-determination theory. It's also informed by the trans-theoretical model of change, which, which acknowledges and recognises that in relation to any behavioural change, we can go through different stages of readiness to, to make a change, all the way from not even considering the possibility of change right through to having sustained a marked change in our behaviour over a long period of time. But again, coaching is much more than the trans-theoretical model of change. So we aim to bring all those theories together in a way that supports people to learn uh, the skills of being able to engage with someone in such a way as to be able to cultivate in that person the recognition of their own values, the recognition of their own desires, needs, meaning, purpose, and so on. And as a consequence of that, 
the context in which you exercise your coaching skills, whether that's uh, whether that's in health and wellness, whether that's in a business context, uh, context uh, whether that's in relation to someone setting, uh, if you like, life goals, whatever it may be, um, it's my belief that the skills of coaching essentially remain the same. Uh, and um, the, the, the most effective coaches in the world, the most engaging coaches in the world, are people who recognise what it means to stand alongside someone and to be prepared to uh, open their ears right up and to listen deeply to what that person is saying, to develop the capacity to, to listen so deeply that you can reflect not just the words that are being spoken, but the feeling and the emotion and the values and the needs that sit behind what that person is saying. And people who have the capacity to be endlessly curious about what they're hearing, to, to wonder what something might mean when someone says it, and, and to be prepared to ask that, to be prepared to uh, dig a little further, if you like, or ask a little more in an effort to try and uncover even more meaning in what the person is saying and so it's those three those three skills being being present in a in a warm and human and engaging way being able to maintain a curiosity and not fall into the trap of uh, thinking that we understand or thinking that we know what someone means uh, and being able to reflect back to the person not just what we're hearing, but also what we're, uh, what we're not hearing, what's sitting behind those words. And if you can do those things, if you learn to do those things and you can become adept at that, then you can, uh, you can provide very, very good coaching across a number of different domains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And it's really about coaching the person and not the problem. Right. And, uh, and it's so important that, that, you know, the, the, the coach himself or herself actually has to have, um, certain attributes, right. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you talked about the uh, intentional listening, having, um, compassion, empathy, right. Um, holding the space, being present. There's so many things, um, that, that, you know, we would have to, learn along the way i think importantly is is really having a conversation between two human beings right and being curious uh about the client um and and, and asking questions about their well-being right and yeah. um and what coaching is in that this is something that you know like like i would like to to uh explore a bit further is I tend to tell my clients that I'm not a therapist, a psychotherapist, a counselor, etc. Right, and if there's anything that goes beyond my my ability or my scope boundary, I have to draw a line, and I would have to refer you to somebody who's more specialized than me. Right, but hearing that you, Simon, are a psychologist, right, and with the coaching skills, it makes it even more powerful. You're like a superhero, right? Because most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, because most of the time, a lot of us, right, look up to our health professionals and practitioners, right? And we tend to listen to what our doctors say. Well, you know, like, for example, elderly folks, right? They tend to listen to everything that they say, and then they have to to play by the books um, of the doctors. And, and I just feel that, um, you know, good health practice needs to be fostered when disseminating a piece of information, 
right? And it's very important to really motivate the patient to kickstart rather than, you know, like they're being told what to do. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so let's let's um, explore more about this, right? Like, um, like how would you have you maybe share with us, like, describe a time or a moment when um, you felt that um, you were not able to um, rather um, coach the person. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, that's a that's a, a great question, Karen. And um, I want to just, if I may, just jump back to what you said about um, mm. about scope of practice. And this yes. is very important, and and indeed, it's important in in any profession. Um, so, so there is a uh, there is an external uh, standard of certification for health and wellness coaches. It's administered by the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching. Uh, in the US, uh, which uh, developed um, several years ago standards for health and wellness coaches and continues to maintain that uh, that external certification process. I mentioned earlier Margaret Moore, the founder of Well Coaches. Margaret was also instrumental in developing those standards with the National Board. Yeah. Uh, and they maintain to this, that, sorry, I should say they remain to this day um, the very best external standard that we have for health and wellness coaches. Uh, the NBHWC, the National Board, uh, also has a code of ethics or a code of practice for health and wellness coaches, and that speaks to the idea of scope of practice. But scope of practice is not unique to coaches. We find that in any profession. So uh, if you go to a dermatologist, for example, and you, know, you have a rash on your skin and you also have a sore knee, then your dermatologist should not be giving you advice about your sore knee. Um, your dermatologist should be referring you to an orthopedic specialist uh, in the same way. If you, if you go to your cardiologist with a concern about your heart, uh, but also have um, uh, you know, a rash on your skin, then hopefully your cardiologist will refer you to a dermatologist and, and so on. Uh, so that idea that we should uh, maintain a vigilance around what it is that we're doing uh, is common to uh, to all professions, um, and that's part of what makes the idea of certification, certainly to me, so appealing because it, it sets yeah. that high standard and and it and it expects that behaviour of people who have uh, who have certified as. As health and wellness coaches, so uh, it's conceivable that there could be lots of reasons why uh, why someone may um, may ch choose to uh, disqualify themselves uh, as a coach or, or choose to recognise that something sits outside their scope of practice. Um, you, you gave the example earlier of um, of psychology. So, for example, if I, I happen to be a psychologist and I, I happen to have skills in uh, in treating mental health conditions. However, not everyone who trains as a health and wellness coach does. So if you were to come across uh, someone uh, with, um, with uh, presenting with a mental health issue uh, that perhaps is sitting underneath their desire for coaching, then it may be that uh, having a discussion with that person and, and referring them back to their their doctor uh, is a wise step to take in that instance. Um, I can give you an example for me. So even though I'm a fitness professional, even though I'm a personal trainer and a fitness trainer, 
I don't have a particularly specialised knowledge of, um, of injury and particularly sports injury. So if I were working with someone in a health and wellness context and someone, someone said to me, uh, you know, when I do squats, I get a lot of knee pain uh, and they describe it to me as, you know, deep in their kneecap and, and kind of behind their knee, do you know, my, my knowledge from my fitness training days would perhaps give me a bit of a clue about what that may be, but I think that stands outside my scope of practice. So in that instance, I would want to refer that person back to their doctor and then perhaps onto a, a physiotherapist or an exercise physiologist for a more, a more thorough investigation and analysis of what might be going on. And that, can, and that might then shape the sort of work that I do with that client. So uh, it might mean that the person does, you know, a modified type of exercise, for example. I would probably do the same with some nutritional areas as well. So, uh, so again, I, I have a good working knowledge of nutrition from my studies in lifestyle medicine. However, uh, if someone has some very specialised nutritional requirements. For example, if they're, if they're managing some sort of medical treatment that, that is having an impact on their uh, capacity to absorb nutrition, or if they have some, uh, some severe food allergies that they need to manage carefully, I'm not going to step in and, and, um, and uh, try and work with that directly. I would encourage that person to to see the see the professional who's going to best support them to find a pathway through that. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we have to stop coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. That just means that we need to think about how coaching works alongside those other professions. Uh, and so in that way, it's useful for people who are trained in health and wellness coaching to consider themselves or to consider the possibility that at times they may well be working as part of a team or group of people to support an individual to to make a health behaviour change. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said it really well. And that's very important, especially when we talk about behaviour change agent, which is part of uh, this whole entire health and wellness coaching um, and uh, it's it's something that um, you know it's it's about knowing um, the why they do what they do, right? And and for example, like adopting healthy um, habits, um, and also allowing them to know their desire, or rather, to meet their unmet needs. So there's a lot of things here that we can know that we 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 definitely um, be able to help certain individuals and that's why to me coaching is very profound and it's really um it can be very transformative so now simon let's move into this lifestyle medicine and what's lifestyle medicine Mm -hmm. and is it similar to holistic lifestyle so um holistic lifestyle and and i'm going to express a personal view here Um, holistic lifestyle for me doesn't have a very clear definition Uh, And so there's lots of ways that people might think about that. Mm. Lifestyle medicine, on the other hand, does have quite a clear definition, uh, and that is the um, the evidence-based application of the principles of behavioural lifestyle change to uh, prevent, uh, manage and even reverse chronic disease or what we often call 
lifestyle disease. So, so a quick uh, a quick medical history lesson here. Uh, if we go back one or two hundred years, uh, most of the diseases that that made people very sick and even killed them were acute infectious diseases. So think about things like think about things like influenza and 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 actions from from cut fingers or dirty water or or things like that. Now I know, I know that you and I, Karen, happen to be speaking in the midst of a, a worldwide pandemic of a, uh, a viral illness, so the landscape has changed a little bit for everyone in the world this year. Nevertheless, despite the widespread impact that COVID nineteen is having around the world, uh, chronic disease or disease attributable lifestyle still remains the number one killer of people worldwide and it still remains the number one cause of morbidity or illness in people around the world and so when we talk about lifestyle medicine we're, we're really talking about a different way of delivering healthcare, a, a way that that recognizes that the solution to lifestyle diseases or chronic diseases is not the prescription of a medication. Um, it's, it's not an inoculation or a vaccination. It, it's the prescription of activities and changes to behaviour which will address what's actually going on. And so the principles of lifestyle medicine are activity and exercise, uh, nutrition and diet, sleep, social support, uh, stress management and taking care with substances, so eliminating tobacco altogether uh, and um, being very, very careful about uh, intake of alcohol, for example. Uh, health coaching, I've said for uh, a long time, is the engine room of lifestyle medicine. So lifestyle medicine is the knowledge. Lifestyle medicine represents the principles. Lifestyle medicine represents uh, what we can do to support behavioural change. Health coaching is how we can do it. Uh, health coaching is the way that we, the way that we bring, that, uh, bring that to life um, and support people to, to begin making those changes, to keep making those changes, and then to sustain them into the long term. Uh, so it's like the betterment of the person's uh, overall well-being, right? Like you mentioned about social connection, um, you know, like emotional connection, or rather, or rather emotional well-being, and then you have um, physical, right, as well as a mental, which is a part of brain health, really. Mm. Yeah, that's right, Karen. And I think what what the what the more recent research is telling us very very clearly is that our, our previous distinctions of things like mental health and physical health really don't make that much sense and they don't represent the way human beings actually function. Um, we, we know that all those elements of our health are connected in a, in a very circular way and a very dynamic way. So, for example, uh, if, um, if my diet uh, starts to change and become poorer than it was. So for example, if I start to uh, eat a lot of uh, processed food, if I uh, fail to eat uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains and so on, then that's gonna have numerous uh, fairly immediate impacts on me. So one of, the, one of the immediate impacts might be to begin disturbing the quality of my sleep. Another one might be that because I feel uh, less 
energetic uh, and more lethargic. I might become more sluggish, less likely to engage in activity, less likely to exercise and so on. When I, uh, when I exercise less and I, um, and I don't eat so well, as I said, my sleep is likely to be affected. But we also know that people's moods are affected by what they eat and how much exercise and activity they do. So my mood might start to slip away from its previous good levels. And when I start to feel a little blue or a little low or a little more upset and anxious by things that I used to not get so upset and anxious by, then I might be more inclined to look for other ways to settle and calm myself. I know that in, in 21st century world, uh, one of the ways that people do that is through substances which can be quite addictive, for example, tobacco and alcohol. Or sometimes that, the more the more that person becomes involved in using those substances to support them, the less socially connected they are, the more their mood declines, the less excited they are about exercise and activity, the more they feel like making a, a healthy meal is too much of an effort. That also tells us that only one small change is needed in any one of those areas in order for the person to begin seeing the possibilities of changes in the other area or other areas i should say and so that means that whatever's going on in someone's life i don't need to be i don't need to be prescriptive i don't need to say to someone well you need to cut back on alcohol or you need to stop smoking or you need to exercise in order to change all this i can i can ask someone what do you have the most energy and interest for at the moment and if the person says well I could pro I could probably uh, I could probably start to cook a little more at home. Then that's where we start. And if that person starts cooking some more nutritious meals, then they're likely to have an experience of what we call self-efficacy. Uh, the experience of I'm able to do something uh, and change some things for myself. Uh, if they have that experience, then they may be more likely to spontaneously start exercising perhaps some more. And the more I can engage with the person and, and curious about that and listen out for those things and, and amplify those, the more likely the person is to continue that series or that cycle of changes. So I think one of the I think one of the most uh, one of the most uh, exciting and rewarding things about about health behaviour change is in fact the way that all those health behaviours are linked to each other. And the real significance of that for anybody working in the area of health behaviour change is that you can start anywhere in that cycle. Uh, it really doesn't matter where. You can start wherever the person has the most energy and interest and make that the point from which you begin to move forward. Yeah, and that's that's really priceless um, information, Simon, that you provided. And, you know, like you mentioned about the uh, past experiences and that's so important it's really about asking the clients your past uh, or if any successful experiences that this person actually ever had and because most of the time we tend to um, talk badly about ourselves or the first thing that we remember is ah you know it's always a negativity right it's 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 in and, and yeah. the minute when we want to focus on the positivity or um, um, happy or successful experiences, you know, it basically gets the person to think, and then you know, like being able to amplify 
or using different kinds of reflection techniques is so it's so important as well. And uh, and with that, I have the very last question for you, Simon. And that's a million <laughs> cool. dollar question, <laughs> and that is: Should everybody have a coach? So so let me ask Karen: If it's a million dollar question, does that mean I get a million dollars for answering it, <laughs> or it's just a, it's just a really important question? Depending on the currency. <laughs> <laughs> Should, should everyone have a coach? That's a, that's a really good question. So one of the, um, I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is that, actually, the first, do you know, the first thing I'm going to do is just come out and say, no, I, d I don't think so. I don't think everyone should have a coach. And the reason that I say that is because, um, because th that would straight away, for me, undermine one of the principles of coaching, which is autonomy, um, that we want people to feel like they should choose this. Uh, and they're choosing something that has meaning and purpose and, and matters to them in that moment. So no, I don't think, um, I don't think everyone should have a coach. However, what I do firmly believe is that uh, the evidence to support health coaching as a means of cultivating behaviour change is growing all the time. And there's a great body of research which your listeners can access either through the Well Coaches Australia or Well Coaches websites. Um, and a lot, of that, a lot of that research is based on the Well Coaches model. Uh, so that, that research is gathering all the time. And I do believe that everyone should have access to a health coach if that's what they think would be useful to them. We know that we know that health coaches can be uh, can be game changing uh, professionals, people who can really uh, uh, support others to make a difference that they've struggled to make a difference to uh, all this time. And I, I I have numerous examples of that from my own professional practice of of people that I've seen, for example, who've who've struggled with uh, with trying to lose weight or struggled with trying to cut back on alcohol or or increase their exercise or do things that that would improve their mood um, people who've who've um, who've seen many many different professionals over the years and and have made a made you know made some made some progress and then gone back some progress and then gone back and that's that's not because I'm I'm anybody particularly special but it's because I have learnt and understood what it means to support behaviour change in someone else. And I've, I've learnt to, uh, to take what we call an appreciative focus. Uh, you mentioned earlier the idea of not coaching the problem. And this is something that professionals often get, get hooked into very quickly. Um, all of us, uh, whether you, like me as a psychologist or, or exercise physiologist or dietitian or doctor, we often get taught a problem-focused way of engaging with people. So we'll, we'll often start by saying to someone, um, what's the problem that's brought you here today? Or, or, or what's the problem? Or what's going wrong? And as soon as we do that, then the person starts talking about a problem. We start thinking about fixing it. And we get really narrowly focused on just this one little area as if this one problem represents the entirety of the person but we know that it doesn't and that's what coaching teaches mm -hmm. coaching teaches us that uh, a person is much more 
than the problem or even the problems or the whole set of problems that they might have in their lives. Um, the, the person is someone who has strengths, who has had successes, who has dreams, who has visions, uh, who wants to find purpose and meaning in their life and has the capacity to do that. And when we can take that perspective, um, when we can take that perspective of someone and engage with them in that way, then we have the capacity to build behaviour change. And what that means is that if, if someone... Uh, if someone recognises a need for uh, behaviour change and particularly health-related behaviour change in their life, then it's my hope uh, that everyone would be able to have access to a well-trained, qualified and certified health and wellness coach who is the best-placed person to support them to make those changes yeah, that is so well said, Simon. That's so powerful. And so, so ladies and gentlemen listening out there, so if you want to have a coach, you know who to get one and you know where to get one. So Simon can be reached via LinkedIn and also I'll be putting that in my show notes, um, his LinkedIn profile as well as Well Coaches Australia um, URL as well as my URL. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Simon, feel free to check out my show notes in this podcast episode. And with that, Simon, do you have anything else to share with uh, maybe one last thing to say to our audience here? One last thing. So I think, um, Karen, for me, the, the, um, I, I mentioned earlier that I thought of uh, or I think of health coaching as the engine room of lifestyle medicine. And, and I, I value both those things. I, I value the lifestyle medicine knowledge I have and, and I value the health coaching skills that I have. Uh, and I value the way that those two things sit alongside each other. And for me, the entire goal of, of health and wellness and of health behaviour change is this not only that people might be able to add years to their life and live a long life and a healthy life, but also add life to their years. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, wow. Mm, that's very, very profound. I like that a lot. You would have to text me that, and I'm going to put that in my show notes, Simon. Okay. <laughs> I'll do that. All right. So, Simon, thank you. Thank you once again for here, you, for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, it's such an honor. Thank you so much. So, so again, listeners, if you want to get hold of Simon, just check out my show notes. And uh, that's all we have for you today. I hope this has been very insightful and valuable to all of you. With that, signing out. Thank you. <laughs>